This week, we're resharing one of your favorite episodes from the Single Tracks podcast archive, which now includes over 200 episodes. We'll be back in 2019 with a fresh slate of podcast interviews and mountain bike topics for the new year. So happy trails until then. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks podcast. My name is Jeff, and today I'm going to be talking with Richard Lakina, who is a mountain bike skills instructor. Richard is the founder and owner of Ninja Mountain Bike Performance, where he's also a BICP and Fluid Ride certified mountain bike skills instructor. In addition to hosting popular skills clinics all over the USA, Ninja Mountain Bike Performance also offers guiding services to epic mountain bike destinations like New Zealand. Thanks for joining us, Richard. Yeah, thanks for having me. So I want to start off getting a little more info about your background. Tell us a little bit about your experience racing mountain bikes. Sure. Yeah, I started racing mountain bikes back in the 90s. Been racing more or less ever since. I took a few breaks here and there. I've raced cross-country, endurance, Super D, and enduro. Nice. Which of those is your favorite? I really enjoyed the intensity of cross-country racing and the endurance and the training that went into endurance, but I think super D or enduro are my favorite disciplines because it's a good mix of both. You've got to be super, super fast and fit, but you've got to be a great rider too. And that, that really comes through in uh, in enduro or super D racing. I'm sure you're a pretty competitive person. Are you still racing or at least trying to ride really fast for fun? I guess that that's a good question. I'm, I'm not racing seriously anymore. I, I did receive my pro upgrade in cross country, um, and competed at that level for a few years. Now I'll race, but it's, it's just for fun. I'm not actually training for anything, just jumping in a race here or there. Okay, cool. How did you get into skills training? That started with, I guess it started just with sharing ideas with friends and fellow racers regarding techniques, how to do something or or how to improve something. I, I did that for a while and uh, really enjoyed helping others and getting feedback about how things were working or not working realized there would there's an opportunity there to to do this as a business so uh decided to get my USAC uh cycling coach license I got my training peaks coach certification my IMBA level 2 skill certification and then uh Simon Lawton's fluid ride instructor certification and from there I just decided I wanted to learn everything I possibly could I read every book blog post article everything I could find to educate myself on how mountain bike skills are currently being taught from that, uh, in hours and hours of trial and error and lots of help from friends, I came up with what is now our current curriculum that we teach uh, with, with Ninja. So it, it started with friends and sharing ideas, and now it's, it's turned into um, a full-time business. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah, it seems like that's how a lot of people get started in the industry with different businesses. I mean, clearly you're really passionate about training and skills, and you know that that's, it seems like a natural fit, so that's really cool. So how would you describe sort of your training style? What, what makes your training style effective, would you say? To me, I think riding bikes should be fun. So I try to keep it light. I want people to, to get out of their heads, drop their egos, focus on conquering fears or having breakthroughs. I break things or I break skills down into small pieces rather than giving students a laundry list of things to think about. We focus on one little thing at a time, starting with the foundational or fundamental skills and then progressing to whatever it is they need help with. This allows students to build up a strong foundation without getting overwhelmed or caught up in all the details. Do it. There's a lot of repetition in my training. Um, I try to draw from experience, uh, my experience as a racer and my 
time analyzing skills and ways of teaching. Yeah, I think that's, that's it for the most part. That's interesting. I mean, we, we hear a lot too about sessioning and things like that. Was that something that you did a lot as a racer to build those skills? I mean, are you the kind of guy who can spend an hour or two hours in a field just like hopping around on your bike? Yeah, I'm that guy as a super D <laughs> as a super D racer. I, I didn't, you know, I, I was racing for fun, but I was also racing cause I wanted to be competitive. I wanted to win. I wanted to be the best I could be. So I spent tons of time like riding the same course over and over and over and then being really honest with myself about where I could improve. Like if a corner didn't go as great as I thought it could go, I'd go back, look at the corner, try three or four different lines, try a couple different body positions, footwork, try whatever I could to come up with the best possible way to get around that corner. And then I just would do that through every single obstacle on the course and then, and then put the whole thing together. Um, and that, that repetition went a long way. And, and I'm also, even today, uh, you, you can find me like riding on a curb or off a curb or practicing something in a driveway, <laughs> but yeah, it, it never, never ends. Yeah. That's cool. You've run a lot of these skills clinics and camps all over the U S and all over the world as well. Are you international now? I know you've led some trips over the overseas. Yeah, we're mostly in the, in the U S now we teach uh, ninja teaches and 20 states, maybe 21 now. I think we're in 37 cities and um, we're, we do about 500 events a year. So it's me and I think we're at about 40 other instructors right now in the, in the business. Oh, wow. We have taught in, um, actually we haven't taught out of the country, but we did the last two years, we've run a nine day tour in New Zealand and we'd like to do more stuff out of the country, but it, it's just been slowly progressing. We haven't been real, real focused on it. So over the years, I mean, it sounds like you've seen a lot of different riders. A lot of people have come to you to get instruction on mountain bike skills. So what's sort of like the the number one and number two skill that riders need your help with? Number one skill is easy. It's it's always high-speed cornering. People want to know how to go faster around a corner. It's kind of the thing that separates the great riders from the okay riders, knowing how to accelerate through a corner, knowing what footwork to use, knowing where to look, where to use your brakes, et cetera, makes a huge difference. I've spent a lot of time uh, teaching that. Uh, The other big thing that everyone wants to learn is how to jump. It's like another big mystery in mountain biking. (laughs) It's not uncommon for for someone to, to... want me to show them uh, how to jump, not because they can't jump, but because they're not sure what to do in the air or they're not sure how to land, et cetera. So those would be probably the two biggest, biggest skills. Yeah. I was going to say, it's pretty easy to jump, but the landing is the part that you, you want to make sure you get it right. So what is common or like a big mistake that a lot of riders make when it comes to technical skills? I think the biggest mistake or sort of the thing that, that stands out a lot is riders looking directly in front of them instead of really where they're going. Hmm. So I'll catch riders jumping, for example, and they're just staring at the face of the jump the whole time. <laughs> right. Then they get in the air and they're staring at the ground directly below them instead of where they want to land. And that, that applies to virtually every skill. I mean, raising your head and eyes up greatly affects your perception of speed. Hmm. The, the further you look down the trail, the slower you perceive your speed. If you're looking directly at the ground in front of you, things are moving very quickly and you end up riding in a very reactive state with your head up a little bit things slow down and you can be a little more proactive. You can spend more time thinking about what's next, make better line choices, make better choices in general. So we also, I mean, earlier we talked about sessioning and stuff. Is that something too that people come in and don't expect? Like, do they think that 
they can spend an afternoon, learn the skill, and like they're just going to get it, and then they they realize they don't have the time to put in. Is that something that you run into a lot? Kind of. I think the biggest thing I'll, learn, I'll I run across is someone will come to me, an experienced rider, and say, "Hey, I can I can corner fine, but um, I'm not as fast as my friends in the corner." And then I'll have, then they'll show me the corner and I'll see exactly what they're doing. They're either breaking in the corner or they don't have the right separation or their footwork sloppy or backwards or whatever. And in order to get them to become better riders, I usually have to slow them down a little bit. So, or a lot and have them understand again, what the foundational things are they need to be, what position should they be in as they approach the corner, where they should be looking, what their bike body separation is should be what how much pressure they should have on what foot what the best line is etc and then after they've got that if slowly and can show me that they can repeatedly hit the corner without any um any issues uh, then we'll start bringing speed back into it if the mistake a lot of riders make is they keep focusing on being fast when they should really step back and focus on figuring out the skill required to ride the obstacle or the feature slow and then add some speed from there yeah. Well, I mean, would you say that overconfidence is a problem that a lot of mountain bikers have? I mean, it's obviously mountain biking is a male dominated sport. And so I wouldn't be surprised if that were an issue you were seeing. You know, yeah, people come to me and I, I, I set expectations right away, which is one ego has no place here. We're, we're going to start with a clean slate and we're going to work through the different progressions to handle whatever it is, is, is coming here or whatever the problem is and then and work our way uh, from there. So most people, they realize they need help or they wouldn't be signing up for a class or, or a clinic or a camp. Right. So they're, they're open minded to whatever we might be able to share with them. Yeah. Well, do you, I mean, do you get much feedback from people? Because I imagine maybe there's more than one way to do things on the bike. And so do you ever get people who just, just don't agree or are you, are you usually able to break them and show them that they really do need help? I've never had anyone not agree. And I, it's rare that we can't help someone become a better rider. And I can't think of an example of somebody who attended a class or clinic and left a worse rider. <laughs> so That's good. They're definitely going to improve in some way. But you're right. There are different ways to look at things and different instructors teach things differently. And there's different terminology, whatever. And, mm-hmm. But it's all generally the same you know, when it really comes down to it. It's usually if someone's struggling on a particular skill or obstacle, there's some fundamental reason usually that's, that's causing it. And it, it's really hard to know what you're doing wrong when you're trying to analyze yourself. So just having a second set of eyes to give them feedback may often be enough to help them get through whatever they're struggling with. Yeah. Well, you mentioned, you know, cornering as being sort of the number one thing that people need help with and also being able to look down the trail and, you know, not be staring at your front wheel the whole time. Is there, is there like one foundational mountain bike skill that a lot of this stuff is built on or, or is one of those sort of foundational in your opinion? The skill that, or the, yeah, the the foundational mountain bike skill that everybody needs to know that every skill is built on is the ready position. And there, there are variations of the ready position, a high ready position, a low ready position. The ready position is a very loose position that allows you to be ready for whatever it is you're doing. And if your ready position isn't right, for example, if you're standing up straight up and down, going around a corner, your center of gravity is going to be too high. You're going to get pulled to the outside of the corner. Or if you're jumping and say you stay in the saddle the whole time, you're not ready. You're going to get bucked over the jump. So I'd say ready position is, is probably that, that most important uh, foundational skill. Yeah. When thinking about this myself, I I was thinking maybe it was something like balance, but 
it sounds like, you know, with the ready position, it is sort of about balance, right? That it's front to back balance as much as it is side to side. Yeah, the, the ready position is is not a static position. It's not the position you see in all the books where somebody's just hinged at their hips, torso down, elbows out, looking ahead. That's sort of the starting point for it. But if you're going up something, your weight's gonna, your body's gonna come forward a little bit. If you're going down something, your body's gonna come back. If you're making a left hand corner, your body's gonna come to the right, and you know, et cetera, et cetera. So it's this, it's sort of this position that is is very fluid and and um, uh, very relaxed. Yeah. It's balance. It's front to back or it's it's side to side. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's what, especially if you're a beginner, you're afraid. I mean, when all of us start, right? When we start riding a bike, the first thing we try to learn is, is how to how to make the dang thing stay up. And then you throw trails into the mix. And again, that's like another step that people might get caught up with where they're, they're afraid, they're not confident in their ability to balance. But but yeah, I feel like, like you're saying, the going uphill and downhill, that's all about balance too. And it's not you're not just trying to not fall over. You're trying to actually attack it and, you know, be efficient as you go across the trail. A lot of times when we talk about racing and people are trying to get faster, you know, they're going to focus on fitness and endurance and things like that. But bike skills are a big part of that, especially these days as, you know, even cross country racing is becoming you know, heavily technical and more dependent on bike skills. So can you kind of quantify the advantages that racers might gain when it comes to gaining these technical bike handling skills? Yeah, the, a couple that come to mind are speed and efficiency. So knowing how to come through a corner efficiently is going to require less power, less pedaling as you come out of the corner. If you could be the fastest, most powerful trained from a rider from a fitness perspective. But if you don't know how to apply that to a trail, you're just wasting energy all over the place. I coached a lot this past year at a a bike park in California, and I would have riders ride in front of me and it would, I would sort of play a game with them uh, to see how much less work I could do than them and still keep up with them. And it's amazing how much energy riders waste when they don't have the proper skills to attack or to, to ride the terrain that, that they're on. So, um, yeah, efficiency and speed would be another speed is sort of a byproduct of riding smooth and knowing how to handle the, um, the technical features on the trail. Also, I, you know, another sort of huge advantage a racer would have with technical skills is, is line choice. If you don't know how to ride over a pile of rocks, you're going to be stuck behind the rider in front of you. So having the skills to get around a corner a little tighter on the inside or to go over something instead of around something, again, is going to give you a big advantage uh, when it comes to racing. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I, I guess too, though, sometimes we do see these guys like, I mean, in the Olympics, and maybe this is a bad example because the Olympic courses, well, traditionally they haven't been very technical, although, although the last couple have, but you see these guys coming from road racing and they jump in there and a lot of times they're you know, up at the front of the pack. And to me, that, that really just seems unfair. I feel like the technical skills should be a bigger part of that. Yeah. And, and I agree with that. It's interesting though, because when I first started racing Super D, I was racing cross country primarily. And a, a friend said, Hey, why don't you ride the race, the Super D event this, this coming weekend? And, and I'm like, yeah, I don't really want to, I don't want to mess up my cross country race. And it was, it was the day before my cross country race. And he said, dude, it's only whatever, three, five minute runs. Like that's not going to kill you. And I'm like, you're right, I'll do it. So I did it and I came in second in the race and I'm, and I'm like, all right, I got it. But at that point I wasn't as skilled of a rider. I was just super fit. 
So the advantage I had was, at least then, the Super D courses were roughly 80% down and 20% flat or maybe even some little uphills in it, is where I lacked in technical competence, I gained or had a huge advantage in fitness. So I could sprint up the hills. And I remember starting back, like those races started in 30-second intervals. So it'd be a 30-second gap and then you go... And I would catch six riders on the way down, but, but not on, I mean, between the start and the finish, but most of those, yeah. I would mostly catch them on the flats or the ups. Cause I would just pin it and go and use that cross country fitness. But then I realized like, if I want to be good at this, I really, really need to clean up the corners. I wasn't, I didn't win the race. I was doing, you know, doing quite well. So, um, so I, I focused, like I said earlier on the, on the corners and the areas that were challenges for me and then eventually got past that. Yeah, I think it it depends on the course. A really technical course requires technical skills, but like you said, a lot of the cross country courses aren't that technical. I'm glad to see them becoming more technical. Yeah. So, are, I mean, are you seeing another race format that's you know getting more popular is enduro, and that does seem to be much more skills dependent. Are you seeing a lot of people coming to you specifically so they can get faster at enduro? Yeah, I I did a, a lot of uh, one-on-one coaching last year. A lot of the stuff I was doing at the bike park was for people who wanted to uh, be more competitive in enduro racing. And yeah, it, it's interesting from what I've seen. You know, Super D sort of is, became enduro, I guess. And um, yeah. and uh, the the current enduro courses, or at least the ones I've ridden, I've ridden a, a few around the country, uh, are more technical than the super D's were I, a lot of them are, are being run on downhill courses on these, uh, enduro or whatever, all mountain bikes. So yeah, that's a, that's a common thing. People want to get better at it and there's less pedaling involved in a lot of the courses I've seen too. So, um, it's, it's becoming sort of the next thing that it's very easy to get into and then quite challenging at the same time. It doesn't require unbelievable fitness either. It's just a great, a great way to get into to mountain bike racing. Yeah. I noticed too, you have a lot of, uh, jumping clinics on the calendar, the various places you go around the country. What, what can you teach with that? I know, like you said, a lot of people want to know how to do that. Are these people, they're trying to, you know, get into like downhill free ride slope style jumps or are these people that just want to, you know, be a little bit more confident in the air? You know, it's interesting. Most of the people who attend the Ninja clinics, and camps are not racers. I'd say less than 5% are racers. Most of them are weekend warriors, or maybe they're, they're racing occasionally for fun, but not, not seriously. They just want to be faster than their friends. That's it. Or, <laughs> or they just want to be more confident dealing with a certain feature. So we teach in a, in a very short afternoon session, all the fundamentals that you need to know to jump your bike successfully. And we start with simple progressions. Like we'll start with ready position drills. Then we'll do front wheel lift, rear wheel lift, both wheels up at the same time. We'll teach them bunny hop. And then we transition them to either a small tabletop or a set of manufactured ramps. And the goal, what they're signing up for is to be able to clear a four to five foot gap and not just clear it being a dead sailor flying through the air, but to, (laughs) to, to be in the proper position at the point of commitment to know when to compress, when to be light on the bike, what to do in the air and what tire should be down on the ground first in, in each situation. So we teach them how to confidently, predictably clear a gap in a, a safe sort of progression format. And they're, they're stoked with that. From there, they can go on to bigger tabletops or they can start jumping um, small gaps and then eventually up to bigger gaps. So that, that's what they're there for and that's what they, uh, they get out of it. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I, I wanted us to talk about progression and I feel like this is a good point because 
a lot of people will watch these videos online and will see these guys at like slope style competitions and things just getting getting so high in the air. And a lot of us wonder, how do you build up to that? I mean, you don't just go out and like try it. Uh, <laughs> so what what does the progression look like? Is it starting with small jumps and then getting bigger and bigger? Is there like skills training, I guess, that helps you get from those small jumps all the way up to the big jumps? I think like anything in mountain biking, you've just got to start small and work your way up. For example, um, I had an athlete recently who wanted to learn how to jump a 10-foot gap. And I'm like, okay, let's break it down. Can you jump a 10-foot table right now? And he's like, mm, sometimes, I usually come up short. <laughs> if, if you're coming up short on a 10-foot table, you probably shouldn't try a 10-foot gap. Right. So we took him back to, we found a decent table to work on and just slowly progressed on it and got him very, very comfortable with clearing the table. And then we stepped off the top of the table. Like, okay, this table is 10 feet. So I now feel confident that you can clear a 10-foot gap. We didn't go directly to a 10-foot gap. We started with a four-foot gap, five-foot gap, six-foot gap, eight-foot gap, and then eventually the point where he knew and was comfortable clearing the gap and then could apply that anywhere. And what happens is I don't recommend just trying something and see how those those big jumps go, but <laughs> I won't jump a jump unless I can see the beginning, the all aspects of the jump and where I'm going to land. I, I like to, and, and if I'm not sure how big it is, I'll step it off. I know how far I can jump comfortably. And if something isn't quite right, I won't jump it. I'll either watch someone else jump it or I'll find a smaller jump to work on before I progress to that. If I don't have the right bike or the right equipment or the right protective gear, I'll just skip it. So yeah, just safe progressions, making good choices and working your way up. I've been racing you know, over 20 years and, I, and knock on wood, I've had very few crashes, but I, I know I'm a good rider, but it's because I've been very patient and very careful and very methodical in, in getting the skills I have now. Yeah. Well, here's a personal question. Can you clear a 10 foot jump? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, nice. So, well, is there a point though, where it sounds like you can still, though, you know how to instruct someone to do it, even if you can't do it yourself. Is that a fair assessment? I think so. I mean, I, I, you don't have to be the best writer, I guess, to, to coach, but for me, when I'm providing instruction, I, I teach from from everything I've read, everything I've learned, and from my personal experiences. Mm -hmm. it, it's real easy for me to teach high-speed cornering because there was a time when I wasn't great at high-speed cornering, yeah. and now I know my high-speed cornering is on point. So I can, I can if someone, you, you know, it, it really helps for them, for me not only to give them feedback, but for them to see someone right in front of them hit the corner with speed. And then I use um, uh, an iPhone or a tablet more often, record things in slow motion and break it down so they can see exactly what's happening. So I think it's important that that the instructor can do what they're teaching for a lot of these these more complicated skills. And plus I don't want to if I don't I wouldn't feel comfortable teaching something I couldn't do because I may not understand all the aspects of it and could potentially put someone in in danger. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, you just mentioned uh, looking at video footage. Are there other tools that you use, tools that are important in instructing mountain bike skills? We use a lot of, like, we'll watch videos of other riders in slow motion to, like, for example, we'll watch some pro downhill racers in their championship races in slow motion to see precise what, what they're doing in each corner, what their footwork looks like, what their body positioning looks like. That's really useful. Like I said, we'll, we'll slow-mo capture the student and let them see it and we'll demo things. I think past that, not too much. We have um, a few obstacles or features we use that are man-made to help teach certain things. Like for drops, we might use um, a man-made box, for example, 
Uh, for the jumps, we have a set of manufactured ramps that we'll use for the jumping clinics. Uh, we prefer to use natural terrain, but when it's not around, we'll use use those. Hmm. But no, nothing else that I can think of. Yeah. Didn't you, you had a thing, wasn't that you that had the, the wheelie machine or whatever? It was like a box that you could build to help you get comfortable doing wheelies? The manual machine. That thing's awesome. Yeah, so it's it's supposed to teach people how to how to ride manuals, and, and we have an article about it, and you can download a free set of blueprints on how to build your own. I have the blueprints printed out on my desk. I have all the materials to build one uh, right now uh, sitting on the porch, but I have never actually put one together or tried <laughs> one, and I honestly don't know if they work, and there's tons of controversy regarding whether they work or not work, or if you should have a chain on the bike or not, or if they... <laughs> They compensate for gyroscopic procession or whatever. I've, I've read it all. I don't know if they work, but I'll let you know soon. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna make one and, and find out. Nice. Well, also you were mentioning the videos and watching the pro downhillers. How do those guys get so good? Do they have instructors that are you know working with them full time or on like a regular basis, or a lot of them just figure that stuff out naturally? I, I think a lot of them figure it out on their own, or most of them do, and. I think that because I've talked to a few of them over the years and asked them, like, you know, as I was studying and as I was trying to learn everything I could to become an instructor, I wanted to know, like, what do these guys do? What is their footwork like on these fast competitive runs? And the funny thing is most of the people I've talked to don't actually know what they're doing with their feet. They'll, they'll tell you, oh, I keep my feet even or I keep them level when I'm descending the, the downhill course or whatever. Yeah. But if you watch it in slow-mo on YouTube, you'll see that they're clearly using footwork to control how the bike is handling in the, in the corners. And it's subtle, and maybe their objective is to keep their feet level, but they're absolutely all of them using precise footwork. And yeah, I think most of them just figure it out as I figured out everything I could could to the point where I decided to be an instructor. And then I've, I've taken it a few steps further. Yeah. Well, I mean, that brings up an interesting point too, which is that just because someone's really good at, you know, mountain biking or a specific skill doesn't mean that they are going to be a good instructor for that. And it seems like you definitely have to have that combo of knowing what you're talking about, but also knowing how to explain it to other people. And that was the biggest challenge for me as an instructor because I knew I could do certain things really well. Like I knew I, I know how to bunny hop. I've been bunny hopping since I was a kid. But when somebody asked me to show them how to bunny hop, I'm like, I don't know, you just compress and pull or push or something <laughs> or just do it like this. And then I realized I'm not going to have a very successful uh, instructing career if, if that's how I'm teaching things. Right. So I had to slow-mo myself and I'm, I had somebody film me and look at it like, okay, I'm in a ready position. I get up high on the bike here. I compress here. I bring the handlebars up here. I push them this way here. And that, and that helped. But you're right. A lot of really, really great riders can't instruct to save their life. And it's, it's not that they're not great. They just they haven't taken the time to really analyze what, what they're doing. Right. Well, with skills clinics like yours being so accessible and then you know just all the content online and videos and articles and things... Do you think it's easier now for people to progress? Like, are, are young riders going to be even better because they're exposed to this stuff so early and not like trying to just figure it out on their own? I think so. I love that there's so many resources available and anyone can type in how to ride a wheelie or how to ride a drop or how to jump and find a bunch of um, video related to that to help them. The thing I worry about though is not every video you see is ideal or correct. Like yeah. there may be steps missing or maybe it's not explained as well as it could be or whatever the situation is. And the other cool thing about this business being a, an instructor today is there is no real like 
no one's agreed upon the best way to teach. No one has agreed upon the terminology that we should use to teach. Like, is it really ready position or is it attack position or is it get low? Like, what is it? And high speed corners, is it pressure control? Is it footwork? Is it bike body separation? Is it like they're different terms that we're all just sort of making up. Mm -hmm. The, The cool thing is a lot of the terms are being used over and over. And I think a standard is sort of developing, but I guess the point is the information is kind of scattered. Unlike skiing, for example, where I feel like the terminology is agreed upon and, and how we teach is, is, is more, more focused or established. Yeah. Standardized. Like as you go, yeah, from resort to resort, they've all got sort of an established program. That's interesting. And yeah, like you said, I mean, I guess you can learn skills, but you can also get bad habits just as easily by watching some of these videos that, yeah, maybe aren't explaining it the right way, or, or maybe it's somebody who just doesn't know what they're doing either. And they're putting it out there and it works, but it's probably not the right way to do it. What is sort of the age demographic that you're seeing in your skills clinic? Are people seeking this out at a young age? Are they like young Nike racers that are trying to get fast and, and learn from the ground up? Or are you seeing more uh, like middle-aged guys who just want to stay fast and keep up with their friends kind of thing? So we're, it's mostly, I think our average uh, camper clinic participant is around age 45-ish. Usually the, the participants are between 35 and 55. Like 80% of them are male and 20% are female. We do have some kids. Uh, we allow kids age 11 and to attend our fundamentals classes. And if they've uh, successfully completed fundamentals, they can take a jumping class at 11 as well. Wow! But it kind of ranges, but it's mostly, I'd say, middle, middle-aged men. Huh. And you run women's clinics as well. It seems like that's a pretty popular thing. And you said 20% of your participants are women, which... I think that's I think that's on the high end. I think that's more than sort of mountain biking on average. So what do you what do you think is driving that? I think we, we've just got a great great staff of female instructors who are very experienced and very knowledgeable. And I, women like learning in um, uh, from other women who are successful in the sport. So I think maybe that's why we've had uh, so many. That or I, I mean I, I guess I, I really don't know, but I, I'm I'm happy that more people are are getting on their mountain bikes. Yeah, that's great. So how important is equipment selection to riding skillfully? For example, dropper posts. How important is, is having a dropper post to getting into the right positions and to really riding technical terrain effectively? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say that you need a dropper post per se, but I'd highly recommend it. So we have riders who come to our events. For example, uh, recently we had a, a very successful endurance racer attend uh, one of our events. And the challenge was the terrain was becoming more technical in a race he had planned on doing in the future and was concerned about uh, the extra weight of having a dropper, dealing with another mechanical part on the bike, et cetera, and wanted to learn how to ride the bike he had, his race bike, uh, as best he possibly could for the terrain that he was preparing for. So yeah, I can ride down a technical rocky section and so can he with, without a dropper, but it's harder to get behind the saddle. And you've got a saddle in your chest potentially. It's also harder to corner to get good bike body separation with a dropper post. You've got to come forward and around the saddle to get the bike to the side. With a dropper post, you just push a button, it drops down, and you can throw the bike to the side. So I think for the example of the dropper post, you don't need it certainly, but it'll absolutely help. Other equipment like having the right bike for the job makes a difference. Like you see diehard uh, hardtail riders or fixed, sorry, single speeds or... um, 
full rigid bikes out there tearing up technical terrain and that's awesome and they can do great with it and whatever and they're having a great time but Mm -hmm. a a bike with a slacker geometry and a little bit of suspension will make the ride in my opinion a lot more fun and perhaps a little more controlled so not necessary but having the right equipment can make a difference yeah what's your thoughts on wide handlebars does that help with control and handling are people able to put a little bit uh, better technique in when they have wide bars yeah, I think uh, there are lots of advantages to wide bars, wider bars, I should say, at least wider than what they used to be. <laughs> I like to set my my bar width at about the the width of my hands when I do a, a push-up comfortably, hmm. and, and that works for me. A, a wider bar allows you to separate from the bike easier because you can push the bike into the corner more. Uh, the other thing a, a wider bar does, it, it gives you more leverage. For example, if you're climbing, what else, a, a more stable platform, I guess that last one was a bad example, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I think a wide bar certainly uh, certainly uh, help in in a few ways. Yeah, what are your thoughts on sort of the modern geometry changes with bikes? Do you think that's helping people with their skills? You know, as bikes get longer and lower and more slack. Yeah, certainly. I I think people get caught up in that stuff a lot, though. I, I don't think you have to have the you know the slackest bike to ride down something technical, even though they may have read somewhere that they need it. You, you just need a, a bike that makes sense for what you're doing, that you enjoy riding, that fits your budget, et cetera. And it doesn't have to be absurd. I, I think certainly the more slack it is or the bigger the tires, maybe the easier it is, quote unquote, but it's just another thing in, in my opinion. Yeah. So when people are training and they're attending these skills clinics, any bike is going to work for them, right? They're, you don't need to have a full suspension or you don't need to have, you know, say a plus bike or anything. There's no ideal bike for that, right? Yeah, I we can teach them on any kind of bike they're going to bring. It just needs to be in good good working order. We we've got people to show up full rigid fat bikes and that's fine and we can teach them all the same skills on it. And then riders who show up on a downhill bike and they're trying to figure out a corner better really really doesn't doesn't matter. Yeah, that's cool. So Richard, I know that you have started branching out into offering mountain bike tours and I guess a year ago or maybe two years ago, you put one on in New Zealand and you actually wrote a great piece for single tracks about mountain biking in Hong Kong, which sounded really awesome. How was, how was that? How was your New Zealand and Hong Kong trip? Yeah. So New Zealand was incredible. It, it's absolutely my favorite place on the planet to mountain bike. The trails are insane and it's just endless terrain. Yeah, highly, highly recommend the New Zealand tour. Um, Hong Kong was kind of um, not real intentional. Uh, it turned out it was cheaper to fly from Los Angeles to Hong Kong and then from Hong Kong to New Zealand than it was to fly from Los Angeles directly to New Zealand. So we figured we'd make a, a week of it. So uh, myself and Hannah Levine went and explored the trails in Hong Kong. It turns out there's only four uh, but they're, but they're really, really awesome trails. So not enough to schedule an official ninja tour out there. Plus, I'm not sure who would come, but um, yeah, it's a great time. There, there's a, a good good article on that. Yeah, we've yeah. we've we've got um, a couple other local tours on the schedule for this year. We're going to be doing a tour in September in Santa Cruz, late in late September in Tahoe, and then uh, we just finished a Moab tour. I think two or three weeks ago, and we've got another one coming up in um, in November, and then we're doing uh, one more Sedona tour. We did a Sedona tour earlier this year. Uh, the next Sedona tour is in um, December. Cool. What's the idea behind these trips? Is it just for fun and, you know, introducing people to a new place or is it, is the skills training a component of it? Yeah, good question. So the, the tours kind of 
weren't part of our original plan. We wanted to really be a skills company, but we kept getting requests and people are like, well, I've taken all of your classes. I've taken your advanced class three times. I, I want to apply this somewhere and I'd love it to be in an organized fashion uh, with other people who've attended your events. And while it's not a requirement to attend a clinic to come to the tour, most of the people who are attending our tours are past clinic participants. So the, the idea is it's, it's uh, a minimum of three days of riding some of the best trails and applying all the skills you learned. We don't offer any skills instruction on those. It's just sort of, or it is an all-inclusive three, uh, usually three-day event that all the food's taken care of, the transportation to the trailheads is taken care of, the hotels are taken care of, um, the shuttles are taken care of. It's just your opportunity to go put your skills to work in at really, really cool uh, destinations around the country and out of the country. Yeah, and it sounds like the group of people that, you're bringing on these trips are pretty skilled, accomplished riders who, you know, are going to want to ride the good stuff and, you know, not to bet bash like Trek travel or something, but this isn't like a gravel road winery tour or anything. Like sounds like you're taking people on real, you know, single track and people that want to ride, want to shred a little bit. It's the real stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. There's no, uh, there are no gravel roads in our tours <laughs> that, that, that that's, nice. those aren't allowed. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. That's good to know. Well, cool. Thanks, Richard. We really appreciate you joining us. And uh, I've definitely learned a lot about skills training. I, I need to sign up for one of your clinics right now. I'm pretty sure uh, you were you were talking about me like a lot of this time about guys who are overconfident and guys who just make up for a lack of skills by riding harder and, you know, throwing up a lung on the side of the trail. Right on. Yeah, we'd love to, love to have you at an event and really appreciate you uh, having, having me on the podcast. Great. Well, that's all we've got for today. Remember, if you're enjoying the Single Tracks podcast, we'd love for you to rate us on iTunes and to tell a friend. That's all we've got this time. Talk to you again next time. Peace. Peace.